art is always more than just something static on the wall. There's always our reception to it. We bring our own lives, memories, experiences to any interaction that we have with a work of art. Hello and welcome to Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and today I'm with Katherine Pill. I'm going to ask you to give your title. It's funny, I started as Assistant Curator of Art After 1950, which was quite a mouthful, and now it's shortened to Curator of Contemporary Art at the Museum of Fine Arts in St. Petersburg, Florida. I like to think of the curator as a conduit, first and foremost, between the public and between the artist. So you're essentially there to provide context for the artwork and make the gallery space as inviting and understandable and enjoyable as possible for visitors. But day to day, there's a lot of administration. I mean, I have a background in art history as well as arts administration and policy because there's loan agreements to think about. Also working at a museum, you are really there to protect and preserve the artwork. So working with registrars and the rest of the team, um, you need to do constant research on the works in the collection and also make sure everything is properly stored and exhibited. So when you say do research on the works in the collection, what exactly does that mean? Well, it could mean making sure we have uh, good understandings of the materials, let's say, that an artist used. Sometimes new research comes up. Also, I try to have a balance of biographical information as well as, you know, the more conceptual or theoretical readings or interpretations of an artist's work. Fine Arts is a, is a pretty unusual museum. A lot of museums are, are pretty specialized, whereas it has a very broad collection. And I think that's hugely beneficial, actually. Uh, we're the only encyclopedic museum in the area. We exhibit works from 2500 BCE up through something that was made you know, in 2017. So it's a huge expanse of civilizations, cultures, histories. But I think as we sort of continue to grow as a museum, we'll be able to do maybe deeper research on certain parts of the collection. We're working on an inventory of the entire collection so that we can figure out where our major gaps are and how we can fill them in. So when did the museum start? 1965. It was founded by Margaret Atchison Stewart, and she had a vision, and she wanted to see St. Petersburg as a cultural, maybe not destination, but to bring the arts to the community. Mm -hmm. Um, It's incredibly inspiring. I mean, she founded it, uh, hired the first director, and the first exhibition at the MFA was pulled partly from her collection, but mainly it was loans from across the country and the world. It was actually pretty incredible. And I think we have some images from our archive of of some of the works that were on view. And so right from the get-go, was it imagined as what you've identified as an encyclopedic museum? Yes. Yeah. What do you think was behind that, that it should be both broad historically, but also broad geographically, I think? I think she wanted to provide a global view. And I think that's, it's obviously important for us today. So I think it's actually quite fortunate that we have an encyclopedic museum like the Museum of Fine Arts in St. Pete. It's actually part of the Pinellas County's sixth grade curriculum to come through Mm. the museum. So every sixth grader in the system gets to, you know, see cultures that they've studied in in books. You get to see these objects in person. I think one of the highlights of that tour is probably the Cycladic Idol, which does date from 2500 BCE. I think it's pretty exciting for the kids to see something with that kind of history to it. Okay, so what is a Cycladic Idol? It's a very sort of basic 
figure that was done in ancient Greece, sort of carved, mm -hmm. and it, sh it just shows that art was being done yeah. thousands of years ago. To put it in context, what are some other encyclopedic museums in the United States? Well, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Art Institute of Chicago. And how would you say the MFA compares to them? We don't have the the breadth of those collections, obviously, but I think what's so special about the Museum of Fine Arts is that it was founded by a local woman in the 60s, and it was so important to her that the museum, despite its neoclassical architecture, also feel welcoming, and that's why we have those period rooms where we have some of our decorative arts galleries. So there's a scale there that I know she intended to be there to really help audiences feel as comfortable as possible within an encyclopedic museum. If I go to someplace like the Metropolitan, I just feel overwhelmed. Whereas when I go to the MFA, I, I, you know, it's just sort of, it's the scale I want to function within. I was reading an article about airports, and one of the reasons that the Tampa airport is so popular is it, it, the size of it. It doesn't feel so overwhelming. It's to human scale. And I honestly think that's one of the very strong qualities of the MFA. You get that interaction with lots of different kinds of art. Some you might be familiar with, some you haven't seen before. Let's talk about your role more specifically in the museum, because you are involved in curating and also expanding the contemporary art collection. Yes. And the museum obviously made a choice to bring somebody on board with that focus. Right. Yeah, I started at the museum as assistant curator of art after 1950. So I got to focus on sort of post-World War II artworks in the collection, and then started to work more and more with living artists. And that's when my title changed. Of course, I still work with the modern aspects of the collection, but it's been incredible to work with artists from the area as well from abroad, you know, between Skyway, working with artists from Hillsborough, Pinellas, Manatee, and Sarasota counties, and then working on the MFA Spotlight exhibition series. It's been really thrilling to, to discover, you know, artists from the area. We did the Fonch and Lord exhibition. She was a geometric abstraction uh, painter from Lakeland. Robert Stackhouse and Carol Mickett, and then Greg Perkins, who is a photographer and video-based artist. He's a, primarily a, a research-based artist, so he digs deep. So this gives you an opportunity as a curator to maybe function as a collaborator to some degree, how to, how to bring it to life in, in the environment. Yeah, I'm there to aid in whatever way I can. You know, I'm there to support the artist and make sure that they're happy with how it all comes out. I'm there to facilitate. The Skyway exhibit. Yeah, a few years ago, directors from the Tampa Museum and our museum decided that it was time to perhaps do a, a multi-venue exhibition devoted to artists from the area. And so I worked with Seth Pevnik and Joanna Robotham from the Tampa Museum, Chris Jones from The Ringling, and uh, my colleague Robin O'Dell from the MFA we decided to do a juried exhibition inviting artists from each of our museum's counties. So that's Pinellas for us, Hillsborough for Tampa, and then Manatee and Sarasota for the Ringling Museum. I mean, I, I've gotten to know the art scenes here, and I knew that this would be an incredible show. I mean, there's hands down, you know, the talent to make something like this happen. 
So we, we got together, selected 57 artists. Those artists were divided between the three institutions, and we had a big summer show. Uh, it ran concurrently at the Tampa Museum, our museum, and the Ringling. So 57 artists, professional artists, and artists of national and international renown who could and do exhibit all over the country. Yeah, we're lucky to be living here with the talent that sort of abounds. So how did you decide, or how, how was the decision made who would be at the MFA? There were certainly size concerns. I mean, we, we had the, the largest space, so we were able to accommodate some of the larger installations. There was no theme to what artists were proposing. So we sort of, as curators, tried to work together to pull out artworks that would work together. We mm-hmm. wanted to do justice to each of the artists and make sure that, you know, the presentation was meaningful. And then also we, we tried our best to make sure that artists who exhibited regularly in one city were showing elsewhere. That sort of leads me to ask you about your own personal journey. What made you decide to focus on the arts and art history and become a curator? I mean, I certainly went to museums as a kid. I was really fortunate in that way that my parents took me to museums around Toronto. And then, uh, I guess in high school, I was fascinated by Bertolt Brecht, the playwright, Mm -hmm. and really got interested in the potential social and political functions of art. And I started taking art history classes in undergrad, and I think it was maybe after my first year, I realized that if I put my interests together, I think curator would be my dream job. I think I'm more of an organizer and facilitator than you know, artist or, or writer. It was it was sort of like a light bulb moment. And how old were you in that light bulb moment? About 20. It, yeah, just fell into place. So the social and political potential of art, probably you had a certain thought about that when you were that age and probably have a different thought about it now. I think what Brecht taught me was to think about theory and art. I don't think his theories taken to, you know, their end actually would result in what his ultimate goal was. But I'd never thought about art as having that potential before. I believe in art for art's sake, but it's also really powerful to think about it as having uh, different functions. For me, that notion of art for art's sake kind of breaks down unless you're only doing it for yourself. I think that's a really great way to think about it. You know, that term art for art's sake is... It's not a term I, I really appreciate for that very reason, because art is always more than just something static on the wall. There's always our reception to it, and we bring our own lives, memories, experiences to any interaction that we have with a work of art. And, and I'm guessing that that's, at least for me, what gives energy to the exhibits that I've seen that you've curated, is that they are very powerful in their voice even the softer voices. The exhibit with Mickett Stackhouse Studios, Robert Stackhouse and Carol Mickett, they Mm -hmm. did something around Hurricane Irma and the moon, and people got to write things about Hurricane Irma and what, in a sense, what they were thankful for. And then on the full moon in December, in front of the MFA, a group of people read. You were there and so was I. And then Carol burned the moons that the people had written on. Yeah. <laughs> but you were kind of the producer of that. Yeah. So that event, obviously they did the art, but the ending event that was the culmination, you brought all the parts together and you've, and I said producer, but I think you also function as a director to some degree. So you were part of the creation of that. 
certainly. Logistically, yeah. But it was the artist concept. But no, it was great fun to work with them. And to actually get to participate in the reading of the moons was really fun. I don't normally get to be such a part of the artwork, but that was, it was kind of thrilling. Yeah, it was. A, I found it a little cathartic, realizing that, yeah, that really happened, and people did evacuate, and you know, people did have feelings of vulnerability and fear and all those things. And reading them out loud sort of felt like owning them and then burning them. Yeah, it was a really interesting ongoing participatory project. And it was exciting for us as a museum to be nimble enough to work with the artists on that, because this was a concept that they came up with just weeks before the opening of the exhibition. But they're such professionals, we knew we could could make it work. And, and we did. And they were in the galleries twice a week meeting with visitors. And I think there's nothing better than hearing about an artwork directly from the artist. The first work you were involved in acquiring was a software work about time. Yeah, when I started at the museum, we had a, a great video projection sculpture by Peter Sarkisian. And, you know, I really wanted to create a new media space where we could exhibit that in a darkened room and then also build on that part of the collection. And Waves Clock by Michael Bell Smith, I thought it was a good step to building the new media collection because it's, it's not a video, it is a computer program. We need to sort of change it with daylight savings. And it's a projected image of uh, an analog clock that sort of floats over rolling waves. Very soothing, sort of this great juxtaposition between human-made time and the ebbs and flows of, of natural cycles of the world. And actually, initially, we, we tried to project it in the conservatory to almost function as a town hall clock, but we couldn't get the, the lighting right. It was just too bright. We have all those windows. Uh, we tried, but it, it looks fantastic in the new media gallery. So additional acquisitions that you might be involved in? Um, growing that gallery. So we have a video by Sebrin Verstig that sort of looks at pixelation in a sort of humorous way. Christian Marclay's telephones. He's known for appropriating uh, from especially Hollywood films. And so this is a precursor to his later work, The Clock, which is a 24-hour video that splices together scenes from movies that reference time into a 24-hour <gasps> experience. Oh my gosh, it's really 24 hours long. Yeah, so we don't have that, but we have the precursor, which is Telephones. It was one of his earlier works that sort of splices together scenes from movies, starting with a phone ringing, people picking it up, saying hello, having a conversation, and uh, saying goodbye. So we're, we're, we're proud of that, and that was a purchase that we were able to make with the help of the Contemporaries, which is our one of our support groups. It's been really fun for me to work with some Tampa organizations. Uh, I'm on the board of Tempest Projects, which is a nonprofit uh, space in Seminole Heights, as well as Kunsthaus, which is a feminist art collective that is right next door. Those, they're both doing really interesting work. So thank you, Catherine, so much. This has really been a great discussion. We've been here with Catherine Pill, Curator of Contemporary Art for the Museum of Fine Arts in St. Petersburg, Florida. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. 
It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativefinellas.org. Thank you for listening.